if you've got no like credibility in a space, then no one will really listen. So like I built the audience to show the credibility. And then a lot of people saying like, how do I start? So that's where I came up with the first idea. Welcome to another episode of High Fury Presents. In this episode, I talked to Tom Hurst. Tom is a WordPress developer who decided to go freelance when he was literally waiting for his first job interview. He cut paid a couple of beers for his first gig, but quickly started making some real money straight out of college. In this episode, you'll learn how to market yourself as a freelancer and how to set pricing. And of course, we also talk about how to build an audience on Twitter. My name is Unique, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoy the show. Right, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm a long-term freelance web developer, and I've recently entered the creator economy space, I guess, by um, trying to build an audience on Twitter. So yeah, it's been uh, some journey in the freelance game, but then I feel like my career kind of got to a bit of a turning point, really, where I wanted to try new things and test myself a little bit, had a bit of free time to do it. So um, yeah, here we are today. Cool. I've seen some great stuff from you. So let's let's back up a little bit. Did you go to school? Did you get a CS degree? How did that go? And how did you, you know, get your first job? The surprising thing about me when I tell this story is that I've never had a job. I went freelance straight away. So I did go to university, but not to study computer science. I did multimedia and communication design, which was more like videography and graphic design and things like that. But I learned how to code on the side really while I was at uni. I'd had an interest before as well when I was younger, but then I came back to it and uh, discovered, well, through WordPress really is how I learned to code. And then, yeah, I uh, left university and I thought I'm going to have to start earning a bit of money. My parents are not going to let me live here forever. So I applied for a job as a web developer at a local college. It was just to do like their website and some marketing stuff as well. And I can remember I was just sat in this like interview room and I just realized that I cannot have a job. I am just not a person that's cut out to, you know, be told what to do and follow the rules and things like that. So um, I did the interview. I hated every minute of it. And after the interview was finished, I just had this epiphany that I'm going to have to find another way to make money. I'm going to have to find another way to, you know, create a career for myself. Then I just thought, well, I've got these WordPress skills. I've learned how to code. Surely um, other people will want to pay me for these skills. And why don't I go freelance? And yeah, 12 years later, still going strong. <laughs> That's funny. And so you were sitting in that room and before you went in, you already thought this is going to fly. Yeah, exactly. I can remember I was, I was like in a, a really bad fitting suit and I'm just sat with all the other candidates and like looking at like the whole office set up around me and then being pulled into this interview room of three people. And I'm just like, this is just not me. I cannot see my life being in this world. And then that must have just been the fire really that started in me to go it alone. I think that's already a great lesson for people, you know, especially if you're, you know, into coding or, or you know, anything related to, I, I guess, digital marketing. You don't need a job, you know, if you can just, if you have a little bit of a skill set, you can just, you know, go plow through it and just find customers, I guess. And uh, yeah, but I guess the real thing for people is, you know, they have been just drilled into this mindset of, okay, I got my degree, I need to get a, a job, but somehow that didn't stick with you. Yeah, exactly. I think that we taught to like, go on these like really well-defined train tracks when in reality there is another way and i think that 
when I started, it was even more uncommon than what it is now. And I think that people are kind of waking up to this whole idea that you can make it work on your own and create your own work-life balance or however you want to live your life. You do have more control than what you think. Yeah. You had that job interview, hated every minute of it. What then? You knew you had to do something. What did you do? Yeah. So I knew that I had to try and get some clients because obviously I was going to run out of money um, and my parents would probably end up kicking me out. So I was like, how am I going to start here to get some people interested in my services? And the first thing that I did, I just told everyone locally that I knew what skills that I had and how I could help them. So for instance, the first website that I ever made was it well, just for my uncle's band. I think I got paid in beer or something like that. It was like nothing, but it just got me off the um, off the ground really and got my network effects like working. So obviously the band needs a bassist, the band needs a drummer, the band needs a singer, and each one of those have their own contacts who have their own businesses. And that's just how things start. I think that a lot of people underestimate how many people that they already know that could use their services. And, and I think it's a really great way to start when you're looking into do like freelancing or stuff like that. Cool. And I, I was just wondering because... I remember the day I said to my dad, I'm going to quit my job. He literally said to me, you are out of your mind. That's what he said, because he was still, you know, both my brothers went to college, study job. He he was a dentist, you know, he, he went to school for, I don't know, like 12 years or longer. I don't know. How did your parents respond when you told them, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go for a job? Yeah, I think the problem, it's like a generational thing. Again, I think that this this thing's, it's like the scarcity and abundance mindset as well, where, you know, you don't want to lose the job, but, you know, you don't realize that people actually need good employees and good employees are harder to find. So I think there's, you know, the cost loss equation coming into play is a bit generational. But to answer your question, my parents weren't that bad, actually, because my dad's got his own, his own business as well. He's an accountant. So I've always been brought up with, you know, a bit of an entrepreneurial edge. And I think that they saw in me as well. They probably saw in me what took me the job interview to see myself that I'm just not cut out for that kind of like living. And I think that they saw in me like a spark to want to do my own thing. So I think that they were quite encouraging really. So I'm grateful. But I mean, there has been times when I've made decisions and my dad's like, you are crazy. I can remember one time I had a, I had a client that was paying me like 80 grand a year and it was just taking up so much of my time. And I believed fully that I could make more money or at least have a, a more flexible life without this client. And I can remember saying to my dad, I'm like, dad, because he's obviously my accountant as well. He does all the numbers. So I'm like, dad, I'm thinking about leaving this, this 80K client because it's just taking so much of my time. And I think that there's greater upside for me if I can just free up my day a little bit more and do more business things of my own. And it was like exactly what your parents said, like, you are crazy. Like, this is the best contract you'll probably ever get. Like, and it was as well. The people were great, but it was just taking so much of my time. I just knew there and then that I it just wasn't right for me moving forward. And I went through with it and it's, it's not worked out too bad. So I think I can uh, prove my dad right there. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, I think it was a little bit the case with me, but I'm just very stubborn. So I just went ahead and just quit my job. But I think for a lot of people and maybe also in the US where you have like crazy tuition fees where you rake up like 200K in debt and then, you know, say to your parents, I'm not going to go for this steady job and, and just go wild i think they have a lot of explaining to do so yeah it's like the sunk cost of it all right so like you know they put all this money into the education they think that we need to make use of it whereas sometimes there's greater upside you know doing your own thing yeah, exactly yeah, and then if you if you look back at at least what i've learned in college and what i still use probably a couple of percent of 
of that is still left and the rest is just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the social side was the only real benefit for me of that education. I think like the, the real world business chops really is, is what I learned when I just jumped into freelancing. That taught me to fend for myself and that gave me the confidence that there's always going to be a way for me to make money no matter what. And I think that that is something that you can't really pick up in traditional education. Yeah, exactly. I actually went to a private school here in the Netherlands. It's not as expensive as Harvard, but it's like it was 8K a year or something, which is in Dutch standards where you pay like 1500 euros a month was still a lot of money. But the most important thing I learned was really like etiquette, how to, you know, socialize, how to be, you know, how to I just like more like the soft skills versus like marketing and economics and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, something that I always say is like business skills are people's skills anyway. And I think that that's what a lot of people, especially like programmers like me, fail to kind of understand at the beginning. And that's why they struggle to get clients and things like that, because you've got to have those soft skills no matter what. And they will always stand you in good stead, no matter what career path you want to pursue. All right. So you had your first beers, you had your first gigs, the band members, they spread the word. That would happen because I don't think you kept working for beers. No, no, no. So again, using the same tactic, really, I said to my dad, because obviously he's been in business a long time. I said, do you know anyone, anyone that mentions the, the magic word WordPress, then I am the guy that you need to divert me towards. And uh, luckily, one guy that he knew had just let go his developer. So he, he hooked us up and I ended up, you know, getting a long term relationship going with that guy. And um, yeah, that lasted for around six months or so. But then on the side of that, I realized that while I just had one client, I had like no leverage to like raise my prices and things like that. So I wanted to start trying to um, get leads coming to me essentially. And the, the way that I did that was through um, building a personal website and just really making myself really the, the freelance WordPress developer to find on Google. And that's kind of where my life changed really, because that's when I had leads coming in pretty much on autopilot all the time from about six months to a year in of starting freelancing. And that just then allowed me just to keep, you know, raising the prices, becoming more specialist, building more of a personal brand. And yeah, that's really what's allowed me to stay in the game this long and end up making decent money from it. And so you had your first gig six months. How did you decide on pricing back then? Yeah, so I think a lot of people fall into this trap really is you kind of go with the model that the first client provides. So like my client like made a suggestion, I think it was like 80 pounds per day or something like that. So then for that first like six months, so I, I ended up just like on this, you know, day rate kind of payment methodology at 80 pounds for ages. And then I think that until you see the business value that you're providing to that client based off your work, then you, you'll not really have the confidence to go and say, look, I want more money. And it took me probably about, I think about four or five months in was the first time I requested a raise. And I think we got to about three or four raises. And then the, I just realized that this relationship wasn't going to work anymore. But luckily by that point, I had leads coming to me. So I could, you know, I could kind of use that to my advantage. I had leverage there. Cool. And so uh, did you work at an agency? Was he actually reselling your time? Yeah, exactly. So he, he had his own agency. And I think the problem was when I look back at it now with hindsight, he wasn't charging enough. That was the problem. I think his websites were like, I don't know, two grand or something like that. And knowing like what I know now, you know, like a freelancer can sell a 10 grand website on themselves pretty easily. If you've got a good value proposition and you're a good steady um, freelancer and you do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it and things like that. He, he was too cheap. He was too cheap. So that then made him, he didn't have the ability really to pay me 
you know, what I was worth really. And then eventually the relationship broke down um, and I went one way and he went another way. But I'm still thankful, you know, for that experience that, that I gained in those six months. I, I learned a lot. And I think going back to what we said about traditional education, I think that first six months probably taught me like, I don't know, 16 years of reading books and doing the theory. I think sometimes if you throw yourself into it, you've got a bit more of a sink or swim mentality and you learn more from that. Probably in the six months of your first job, you learn more than four years in school, you know? And so at what rate did you leave the business? I think I was charging more towards 200 a day at that point. But then like, obviously as the years tick by, I think the last day rate that I charged was like over 500. So yeah, it advanced pretty quickly over the years really to what we could achieve. But yeah, I don't really do day rate stuff anymore. So, How did you realize that, hey, I'm, I'm seriously underpricing? The main thing that used to annoy me about the relationship in that specific case was I seemed to be doing way more than what I'd agreed to do. So for instance, let's say I was hired to do development work to build WordPress websites, but I was also like dealing with the clients directly and things like that. So I could see that the balance of the value that I was being paid wasn't matching up with the value that I was giving. And it started to eat away at me a little bit and it started like nagging at me. And I think that everyone has to go through this like realization when you've not seen it, it's very hard to, you know, understand like probably what I'm saying right now. But once you've been through that experience and you see that the the scales are tipped way in the favor of the person that's hiring you, then you do something from within you will just say, look, this is not right. I want to make it better. I want more money or I want better terms or I want less responsibility, you know. But like I said, I think it's it's easy for me to say in hindsight now, but I think that you've got to sometimes live through that experience. But hopefully me saying it can um, help people get there a bit quicker than what I did. Oh, good one. And so you started your own website to get in leads on your own. This was like 10 years ago? Yeah, more than that. I think it was about 2009, something like that. So 12. Oh, 12 years ago. And so SEO was pretty simple back then. Did you, you could organically rank for like WordPress developer in your area, something like that? Yeah, I went super broad, actually. And I mean, I pretty much like dominate a lot of WordPress like keywords right now. So well, I have done for, for, for years, really. Um, so the first one that I went for was freelance WordPress developer. And like, that's quite a broad term. There's no like locale attached to it. And I've always ranked really well for that. That's pulled in like tons. I think another keyword I did well for was like freelance WordPress developer UK, because a lot of people like want specific, you know, UK freelancers to work with sometimes if they're a UK business, makes things a bit easier for them. But then even since that, really, I've experimented with others. Like I'm a massive proponent of doing single service landing pages. So like thinking about what people are actually searching for, you know, on the freelance service front, like doing like Ahrefs, like research and things like that. And then building a long form single service landing page off the back of that and trying to rank for that. Because I think that they are, you know, the best way to, you know, convert people really from a search because there's that intent there. You know, someone searching for a freelance WordPress developer, they know exactly what they want. You know, they're coming to you. You're not just like putting an ad on Facebook and saying, hire me, hire me, hire me. I'm a freelance WordPress developer. They're finding you. And if you can write your copy in a way that's convincing and builds trust and, you know, social proof and stuff like that, then you're going to pull in leads eventually, you know, and then obviously the next part of the tactics to get links. Yeah. And so, but like 12 years ago, did you also like create that single keyword landing page service? Not to start with. So it's, it's definitely a learning process, but yeah, not to start with the first I definitely um, ranked for the freelance WordPress developer keyword first. That was always something that I intentionally did right from the beginning because I'd identified, you know, the ideal client and that's what I wanted to get. But yeah, at first it was all like, how fancy can I make this website? 
how, you know, my logo has to be, you know, really perfect. So I'm in Photoshop. I'm like making like my own like crest or whatever. And like with my initials, making it all fancy and things like that and trying to make it right, more image heavy than text heavy. And then eventually you realize that, hang on, you know, it's better to actually write more text and like prove that you are the expert at what you do rather than make the website as fancy as what it can possibly be. And sometimes simplest is best, you know, like people are busy, right? They just want to land on your page. Can this guy do the job? How do I get in touch with him? There you go. You know, it's like when you're doing like call to action buttons and people put, um, you know, arrange a call, arrange a meeting, whatever, just, just hire me today. You know, just, just get rid of all that. Just get straight to the point. That's what some people want. You know, people who are busy, people with more money than time are the best clients as well. So if you can make their life easier, then do it. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. And so leads start coming in. You could quit your low-paying job and you could now like even pick clients. How did you choose to work for one and not for the other? So I think I just touched on it briefly before. Like I kind of defined through those first experiences who like my ideal client would be. And for me, it's like someone who would be just like leave me to it, let my let me have my autonomy, you know, trust my expertise. And I think that that translated to me to doing only custom development for WordPress. So what I mean by that is if you're not familiar with like the WordPress world, like you can put together a WordPress site using like a pre-bought theme for like, I don't know, $50 or whatever. But then if you want to use a CMS to add like specific functionality and you want to have a custom design and things like that, then you'll need um, a professional developer. And I realized early on that I preferred that work rather than just like assembling sites as quickly as I could. I really like to... Uh, think about, you know, like the business problems and things like that and how we can build a nice site with good UX and custom functionality, integrations to other APIs and things like that. So anyone coming to me with the former kind of work, you know, the what I would call like the cheaper lower end work, I kind of distanced myself from and I would I would lean towards, you know, taking the people who wanted something a bit more in depth. Yeah, I get that. And did you also like mention pricing on your landing pages? I didn't originally, I still don't think I do now, but I try and qualify people on money as quickly as I can. So I find that it saves me tons of time. A um, couple of things that I've trialed on that actually. So in fact, I did mention price for a couple of years in my contact form. So I would try and qualify someone by saying, look, if you've not got at least, I don't know, five, 10 grand, then we're probably not going to be a good fit. So I'd put that like in a drop down, like what's your budget kind of thing. I've since removed that on this one because it, it didn't really make much difference. So what I do now is when someone comes to me with a potential project, I just mentioned straight away, I say, look, you know, my project start at X and sometimes they exceed Y. A project like yours in the past has cost Z. And I think it just gets, sets the tone really early, you know, that you're probably not going to be the cheapest, but you know, you're going to do a good job and you've worked on other projects that have cost this amount. So yeah, that's how I try and qualify people pretty quickly on price. Good. And so you are still just by yourself uh, have you ever considered you know hiring others getting like an agency thing going yeah i have and i'm actually kind of in the process of doing this right now like i said right at the top of the conversation i feel like i'm kind of in like a bit of a transitionary phase in my career like i've done the freelance thing for so long and it's, it's, it's gone great and i've also got like experience of hiring other freelancers right so if someone came to me for like um, a design and dev job i would outsource the the design part of that and i'd just do the coding side so I've kind of been running like a really micro agency, I guess, for the last few years. But yeah, I've recently 
I recently, you know, thought, you know, I'm trying to build something that essentially I could step away from, you know, in the later years of my career. And I think that that's tough to do when you just, you know, the personal brand, you can't sell. I can't sell Tom Hurst as a business. So yeah, I've started uh, branding up an agency called uh, Run The Show, and we're going to specialize in doing headless WordPress stuff, more React, more building super fast websites, you know, that will get you um, in front of your competition, things like that. So yeah, I think I did consider it earlier. I actually started an agency when I was really young, I think in 2008, I think, and that just failed really badly because I just targeted like local customers and, and where I'm from. It's a, a small mining town, working class called Barnsley. In uh, So the bakery would be your customer. Yeah. And nobody wants to pay more than like 200 quid for a website because their mother's brother's dog can do it. And it's like... <laughs> You know, what are you going to do with that market? And I think that's one of the things that spurred me on to target, you know, that really wide reach keyword of freelance WordPress developer because the market then for me was global. Yeah. The bakery in your town probably won't sell a lot more if they have a good website or not. You know, everybody goes there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Or they'll pay me in cakes and I'll get really fat. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That too. Funny. <laughs> and so let's say someone's new at freelancing you know they might have gotten their first job or they're like you they say fuck this shit i'm i'm not gonna get a job i'm just gonna start freelancing immediately out of college it's right now it's not as easy to rank in google as it was like over a decade ago what would you advise them to do to get you know the first client in the door yeah i think going back like to a tactic that worked for me that i still think could work now is like think think about your the people that you already know so make sure that the businesses are, are semi big enough so they've got some kind of budget, but, you know, tap into your existing network because I think you might be surprised. But then the, the second thing for me, I still would build a personal web website and I still would try and rank. I'd still write about, you know, the topic that I'm familiar with that, that links to a service that I'm trying to sell. So I would try and blog regularly. But I think that the difference, what I would do now that I didn't do when I started was build an audience. I think that there's no downside to building an audience for anyone, really, whether you're a freelancer, whether you're selling information products, whether you're an author, whether you are a CEO of a company. I think that there's there's no downside in getting people interested in what you're doing, right? And I think that that is building an audience is going to become, we already know how popular it's getting, but I think even for people who are just wanting to sell freelance services, it's going to be an essential part of their uh, marketing toolkit. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Cool. And so for like newbies on the road, how would you advise them to come up with their hourly rate or their, their rate to create a website or stuff like that? It's a tough one because I think the best way to figure out your price is to experiment wildly. So I think what I would do is through building an audience, I would make friends with people who are like me and try and you know tap into what they're charging. So try and establish really what is not the market rate per se, because I think that everyone's service is different and that's what you want to do. You want to try and differentiate yourself from, you know, the people who are, you know, I don't know, going on Upwork and Fiverr and things like that. You want to build your own personal brand to eventually reach those higher prices. But right in the beginning, I would make friends with a lot of people who are in my industry and just talk to them about, have open conversations about price and things like that, because that's where you're going to get the most accurate information. And then just like I said before, experiment, test. So start giving more prices and taking on board the feedback. So for instance, if you come up with an hourly rate that you think might be too low initially, 
take that feedback. If someone bites your hand off and says, you know, oh, 80 pound a day, like what I was doing, he bit, he bit my hand off. He's like, yeah, that's, that's brilliant for me. You know, through experimentation, you become perceptive to these like tells and you understand that next time, yeah, it needs to be, I don't know, 150 pound a day or whatever. And just keep raising and refining through experimentation. And obviously on the flip side, if you say, oh, I want, I want 10 grand a day and no one takes you up on it, then you're too high. You know, so you've got to start, instead of worrying too much about, oh, what the price is, what the price is, do a little bit of research, make friends with people in the industry, but then start giving more prices and build that confidence and refine as you go. Exactly. I know Jose Rosado, he started his um, designing work. I think he did $25 for like a Twitter header. And, you know, that's it's at least it's a good start. You know, you don't get paid in beers. You actually get, you get cash. And also the people that pay you, they then see the work. They say, oh, 25 bucks, pretty good. And they come to you for more work. So it's like an in, it's like a cheap in to get more work. I also like that strategy. It's just maybe, yeah, at least when you're starting out, just lowball a couple of like small products people can buy from you and then try to upsell them to like the 10K website or whatever. Yeah. I think there's a difference as well. Like a, a lot of people giving pricing advice are coming at it from like 10 years in. And, you know, like a bad client 10 years in might be like the client that gives you your start. And I think that like a lot of people say, well, you know, you charge so much now, Tom. Why did you only charge so little at the beginning? Yeah, but you don't know what you don't know. And I think that like what you said, I think you have to go through that and you have to get that foot in the door before you can eventually build brand and start charging those higher rates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember like my first freelance assignments, they were all via agency. So they would actually like the, the bigger firm would hire an agency and I would freelance via that agency for that firm. Right? I think my first rate was like 65 euros an hour or something or 70 euros an hour, which was, I thought, pretty decent. So I was really stoked when I got the first uh, client. And one of the interesting things I saw was that they told me that they chose me because I just told them what to do. I was the youngest guy. So I had a job for like in total, like two, three years. And then I started freelancing and I got the opportunity to go to the interview. I knew what they wanted. So I created a slideshow and just, you know, told them, Hey, this is what I see on your website. I'd like, I would change this. I would do that. And there were people who had like 10 years of experience and they, they didn't get the job. And this rookie here that got the job because I just showed them what I would do when I got hired. You differentiated yourself, right? It's like what we were talking about before, you know, you stood out. Like I think like some people like 10 years in, they might get a bit lazy, I guess, especially in the example that you just gave. So for you, it was much easier to stand out by, by going that extra mile. Yeah. And I think what people also underestimate is that that maybe took me, I don't know, like two hours plus the interview, three hours, but it won me a like a 40K contract. So in contrast, you know, all the money making is in actually, you know, doing the sale, you know, all the rest is just, you you know, all the rest, you're going to do all the rest, but like landing the client, it's just, you can do that in a couple of hours and land a huge contract. Exactly. It's, it's like relationships. And I think going back on something that we talked about before as well, it's like the people skills, right? So like the business skills that everybody craves to, to want, it's, it's just people skills. And by understanding what other people want and giving it to them in an easy to consume fashion, that's going to get your, your foot in many doors. Yeah. Cool. And so get started, build an audience. How would you, if you didn't have I 18,000 followers, how would you start a new Twitter account today? How would I start a new Twitter account? I think I'd probably just do what I did to get to 18,000. I think 
this is something that I always say. I think at the beginning, you kind of, you need the niche more than what you do when you get to like 10K plus. So for me, obviously my area of expertise really is freelancing. So I think that you need to kind of stay super true to what you're tweeting about right at the beginning to get noticed for something because nobody really cares about your opinion on anything else until you've built authority in one space. So I think I would start again by, you know, picking something that I was really knowledgeable about, something that I've either lived through or I'm living through now. So something that I've done in the past or something that I'm learning now, something, you know, where I can come up with content that's just top of mind rather than having to do too much research. Because I think that building an audience can very easily become a full-time job if you let it. If you're wanting to still, what I'm doing, I've got loads of different things going off. I try and build the audience like slow and steady really, but I want to you know, tweet things that just just come easy to me, really. Stuff that I already know. It's stuff that perhaps someone else doesn't know, but I do. So I would think about it that way. Think about what, something that you know, something that you know, like the back of your hand that comes easy to you, that might not come easy to someone else and might be revelatory even to other people. And just stay stay true to that for a period of time until you get, until you get some traction. One of your tweets like a year ago went viral. Want to talk about that, how that went? Yeah, yeah. So I think at that stage of my Twitter growth, I was kind of at like maybe 3k followers or something like that. And I was just doing exactly what I just said then, like tweeting things that are just top of mind. And I'd, I'd written a few threads before and they'd done okay. But then I thought I'm going to write this thread. Um, and I'm just sat there like in hype fury, actually, I, I wrote this tweet in hype fury. So I'm just sat there writing this tweet. I'm thinking, well, what, what am I going to How's this going to be structured? What's it going to be like? And I'm thinking, look, what have I done every day for the last like 12 years? I've been negotiating prices for freelance projects. So why don't I just like write down every single thing, like as quickly and as concisely as I can in a really easy to digest format. And I think it ended up being something like 60 tweets. It's quite a long thread. But then instantly, as soon as I posted it, it just took off. And I'm like, oh, I had to mute the the whole thing. I had to put my phone away because... You know, like when you look on your Twitter app and like you might see like, I don't know, nine notifications and then you have another look in an hour and you might have got another 15 or whatever. It was literally 20 plus. And then I'd refresh 20 plus, 20 plus, 20 plus, 20, like constantly. And I'm just like, this is too much. And I I was trying to, at the beginning, I was trying to like keep the um, virality going by replying to every single commenter. And it just got to a point where I'm like, I'm going to have to mute the thread and I'm going to have to put my phone away and do something else. And the thread ran for like four or five days. It was crazy. I think it's got something, it's got over 2 million impressions. The opportunities and things that it's brought there on in has just been just mad. You know, Twitter can really change the direction of your life for sure. How many uh, followers did you gain from that single thread? I think I gained about 4,000 just from that thread. But I think if I would have had like 18 or 20K now and I would do that thread again, I'd probably get like 10K because I've seen some of the other big accounts, like they do a thread that gets like the same amount of eyes on it as what mine did. And they gain like, they can gain like 30K followers overnight. So yeah, the growth, this is why I always say that I think Twitter's like overpowered because I think that there is definitely a formula that you can follow for, for growth. And if you just stick to it for long enough, and tweet valuable stuff, then you will get there eventually. And when did you decide to like partly productize your stuff? You created a couple of Gumroad courses. When did you think, hey, now's a good time? I kind of already had the idea to do it. Number one is like a bit of a test really for myself. I don't need the money. I just wanted to do it to test myself and learn new skills. 
And also, I think you get to a point in your career where you want to start helping other people through what you've done as well. So I thought I've got all this like knowledge about freelancing and a few of my friends kept coming to me and asking about, you know, how do I start? What would you do in this scenario and things like that? And I thought, well, why do I not just do this on a bigger scale? So yeah, I would say around when COVID kind of first hit in the UK in like March and we got like locked down, I thought I'm going to have a bit more time here. So yeah, then I started like ramping up, building the audience and productizing the knowledge that I've got really. And how did you decide what to put in the course? Yeah, so I kind of... I'm kind of like into my marketing and business anyway. So, and I watch a lot of people from afar, you know, like your Daniel Vassalos and, and people like that. And something that he says really like rang true to me, like if you've got no like credibility in a space, then no one will really listen. So like I built the audience to show the credibility. And then a lot of people saying like, how do I start? So that's where I came up with the first idea. So the first idea was 10 steps to becoming a better freelancer. So it was just a really short ebook on how to get started, but also kind of how to improve if you have already started. So it kind of cast a bit of a wide net, but it was more of a a primer product. I knew that more in-depth products would come to follow, but I wanted this to be like my, you know, like top of funnel product, essentially. So yeah, I mean, that's how I decided at the beginning. I wanted to get people in who were interested in this space and how they can get their start and make a difference. Cool. And so you started with one product, but you have more now. Why why did you decide to, to make them? I just enjoy it. I really enjoy creating the products. I enjoy marketing them. But I mean, most importantly, I enjoy getting the emails of people saying, Tom, this has helped me, you know, make more this month than what I earned in my job last year. I enjoy all that kind of stuff. I enjoy like building the community, talking to other people, learning from them as well. Um, I enjoy the opportunities that building products brings to my door. And again, it's just like a test. Like I got to a point in my career where kind of like don't really need to work for a bit if if I didn't want to. So I just thought I'm going to explore this creator economy. I've always wanted to write a book. So that was the second product, Pricing Freelance Projects. So the breakdown and expansion of of the thread that went viral and how I've priced my projects and got to a six-figure yearly career. So I always wanted to write a book. So I decided to write a a pricing book. And then the last product that I released was um, the personal website playbook, which is like what we talked about right at the beginning, how I've managed to get leads on autopilot for the last 12 years from my personal website. And on that one, I, d- I decided to do that because I wanted to try a video course. So again, just testing myself, testing the boundaries of my knowledge and just wanting to learn more and more and more. And I'm sure the next product will have its own different angle for me to learn something from. Cool. And so you have like one free course. Is there a email sequence behind that? How does it work? Yeah, kind of, kind of. So on the 10 steps to becoming a better freelancer, that's the one like that I said was like the top of the funnel. So what, what I do is I've got some automations that, so when the product sells or someone downloads it on Gumroad, because it's a pay what you want product. So some people like give a small tip or whatever, but most people just download it for free. That email then goes into MailChimp through a Zapier automation. And then obviously then I've got then a database of people that I know are interested in my stuff. And then whenever I do like some kind of promotion on one of my paid products, you know, I'll send them an email. I'll just say, look, you know, I, I hope you enjoyed this product. If you liked that one, I'm sure you'll like uh, the other ones as well. Um, here's a link to buy a special offer, that kind of thing. I have some other automations as well. So when someone downloads the 10 steps to becoming a better freelancer, the, the free product, they get an email automatically saying, you know, encouraging them to actually read it really and share it if they like it and things like that. And then I have an automation that goes out two weeks after that for them to rate the product in Gumroad. So that's been a really good driver of like social proof for me. I think I've got like 76 
four or five star ratings on on that free book and that obviously that's a really good piece of social proof for um you know the quality of work that i'm doing what are your like your main drives of course it's it's probably twitter but you sell like three courses for i think between 49 or 39 and 119 like what are your main drivers to to get people to buy them yeah it's mainly twitter and then it's mainly the then after that it's like the the automation sequence i think that's like one of the hardest decisions that any creator has to make really about how salesy you actually want to be but i think i think for me i build everything in public number one so that's like a constant plug and i think that that is like one of the biggest upsides that any creator can do you know before you even start building the product tell people you're going to do it get pre-orders in and then just ride the wave of that for as long as you can until launch so that's the first thing that i do and then I try not to do like sales too often. I mean, I know that it works because I know that a lot of people do it. Like, you know, your Chris Johnsons and your, and your Jose Rosados, they do like sales quite regularly. And I know that that keeps eyes on your offer. I know it works, but it's kind of not the way that I've gone. I've probably not made as much money as them, but I try and do like just a promotion once every, whenever I feel like it really, if I feel like I've not done one in a long time, it's been a big enough gap, I'll do a small promotion, but I try not to, use them too much because I don't want them to lose their effect and I don't want to devalue the products. And I think at the price points, especially of the, the video course at $99, I think that you can easily lose the value and train your customer only to really buy at the lowest price point. So I think you've got to find a balance there. Yeah. And you're also pretty open about like your earnings. Does that also help in selling more? Yeah, I think so. I think it's like something I wrote a blog post about this a while ago. It's like, it's like when you see, um, a restaurant with a queue you want to go to that one right it's like the social proof thing again i think that whenever i do a sale i will always try to keep people updated with how many other people are buying it because essentially i'm creating a restaurant with a queue on twitter and i'm just like saying look this is it's just like live social proof of people queuing up to buy this course and buying it and i think um i did one a few days ago and i think i made like $300 like pretty much straight away and then a couple hours later it was up to 600 and I just kept posting that really to number one to thank the people that are interested in the product but number two to act as a, a marketing tool of building that queue at that restaurant people are eating here why don't you get some of the tasty food too cool all right man. what do people need to do to be retweeted by you to be retweeted do you know what I actually thought about this the other day and I looked through my timeline and I don't retweet that much I think if they want to be retweeted by me, it has to be, number one, something that's going to be valuable for my audience. Number two, probably something that's valuable to me as well that makes me think in a different way. And number three, something that I could perhaps quote tweet and actually like add something to it rather than just retweet it, just matter-of-factly. I think I always like to either like send a reply if something really resonates to me personally or add something to the conversation if I think it'll resonate with my audience. So yeah, it's got to be pretty much in line with my interests or i'm probably not gonna retweet it cool tom hurst this was a lot of fun where can people find you yeah it's been great yannick thanks for having me yeah the best way to find me is on twitter so i'm at tom underscore hurst and if you want to learn like more about my story and my products and things like that you can go to tomhurst.com forward slash about and if you want to look at the product pages directly it's tomhurst.com forward slash products cool thank you man thank you that's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter, sharing your favorite part of this episode. See you again next week.